Welcome to Book Bridges, the podcast of WordBridge Now, igniting a passion for diverse literature through live online author meetups, because words build bridges to unite. We are TEACH, teachers, educators, and authors collaborating against hatred. I'm your host, Angie Beimer Johnson. WordBridge Now members gather monthly online to meet and to be inspired by diverse authors. It's like a book club with the author. During our author meetups, we get the inside scoop on powerful, diverse literature, breaking down barriers and uniting us across differences. What's coming up is just a taste of our full program with teacher Greg Davis. Greg Davis has spent the last 22 years in high school and middle school classrooms and 15 years as a Holocaust educator, working to teach about this crucial subject in ways that are both responsible and effective. Greg values the opportunity to be part of the conversation about teaching the Holocaust and propaganda and has published articles in the Ohio Journal of English Language Arts and NCTE's Voices from the Middle. A workshop by the Holocaust and Genocide Educators Network strongly impacted his approach about this subject. Greg says he's a big fan of WordBridge and is honored to have a chance to speak about his work. So today I'm talking with Greg Davis, seventh grade English language arts teacher at the Wellington School in Columbus, Ohio. And Greg has a passion for teaching and learning about the Holocaust and has some powerful books and ideas to share with us. So Greg, welcome to Book Bridges. Thank you. Thanks so much for having me. I appreciate it. Absolutely. Thanks for your time. Tell us a little bit about yourself and your teaching life. Uh, so I began teaching, uh, in 2002 in the state of South Carolina, um, and, uh, I was teaching at a Title I school for a year, uh, and then switched over to, uh, a charter school, public charter school there, um, and I was teaching ninth grade English for students who had failed at least one time, which was an interesting, um, place to land over there and kind of, I think, pushed me to, to be creative and try to think outside of the, the box a little bit. Mm. Uh, and then I got into um, teaching journalism at that high school. It's called James Allen Charter High School. Um, go Trojans. Uh, and uh, so in 2008, I took over this school newspaper there and I was continuing to teach uh, ninth grade English and 11th grade English and journalism. Uh, in 2011, uh, we decided to move back to Ohio. My wife and I are both from here. Um, and so I landed uh, at Kip Columbus, uh, which was Kip uh, Journey Academy when, when I got there. So I was the, the founding eighth grade English teacher at Kip Journey, now Kip Columbus, um, and then spent four years there and then uh, went to the Wellington School. So I've been happily uh, working over there since 2015. And like I said, I do uh, seventh grade English mainly. Great. Mm-hmm. Great. Do you also have a social studies or history background? I do. Yes. Yeah. So I was a history major. I love studying history. And um, I did uh, teach social studies when I was at KIPP uh, two separate years. I had a different um, prep each year. So I had two two takes at at, uh, social studies over there, which I really enjoyed. I love teaching social studies. Right. Well, mm-hmm. I have read a couple of your articles, one of them from our Ohio Journal of English Language Arts and one from the NCTE National Journal Voices from the Middle. And they're both really infused with 
a great richness of social studies and history. I'm like, I wonder. (laughs) She has also taught taught history. Mm -hmm. And yeah, absolutely. It's literature doesn't exist in a vacuum. So of course, that's huge for teaching. Awesome. So how did you become interested in teaching the Holocaust in particular? Well, uh, I inherited a Holocaust uh, unit when I moved to uh, Wellington in, in 2015. Um, and so uh, the unit leads up to our uh, seventh grade uh, field trip to D.C., and the first stop of which is the Holocaust Memorial Museum. Um, and so this, this unit has existed as a way of preparing students for that visit. Um, I'd previously taught night um, to high school sophomores um, back at Jamestown Charter High School. Um, and I remember reading night um, for the first time in 2002 and just being, uh, you know, floored by that book. Um, yeah. And so yeah. that it kind of goes back to that. Absolutely. Gosh, gosh. I remember in the in the journal article and for the listeners, the title is How Was That Even Possible? Grappling with Holocaust Literature. And that's in the Ohio Journal of English Language Arts. If you're looking it up, it's volume 62, number two, which is winter spring of 2023. So very recent. Um, I remember you saying that you were a little hesitant at first about giving that content to seventh graders, which is certainly understandable. If you Mm -hmm. want to talk a little bit about that piece and your experiences with that. Sure. Um, I actually love to frame that in um, that with respect to the workshop at, at, uh, at Wright state recently. And there's a really terrific teacher. um, uh, And I'm, her name is, is escaping me right now, but she talked about safe in safe out as, um, as sort of a guideline for, you know, Holocaust studies. I think that it's, there, there's so much that is shocking and, and horrific. Um, and I think that, you know, sometimes there's a temptation to lead with something like that, to engage students, because how can you look away? Um, But the idea, uh, another one of the ideas there has to do with just getting to know the the people. Um, Pre-war, pre-Nazi life for Jews, you know, as, as people. Um, to humanize the the discussion as opposed to leading with necessarily statistics or um, or again shocking images and um, so so I again love the book night I think it's extraordinary um, I taught it with with tenth graders and and so when it was on the list of of titles for the seventh graders to choose from, I, I said, that's great. Um, let me use night again. And as, as uh, students were reading one day, there was a, a girl who just, her face just dropped and I was circulating. So I, I went to ask her what she had just read and she showed me the scene. Um, I'll spare the listeners cause it's just so horrific. Um, but if you know the book, you can imagine several possibilities. But um, mm-hmm. at that point, I, I just decided that night should just be left as an upper school text. It, it is taught in a, in a uh, studies of the Holocaust um, 
uh, course by my friend and colleague, um, Chris Robbins, who is excellent. And so, um, I, I decided there'd be no harm in substituting something else. Um, as I explained in the article, I, I would sort of started to cast around for like what would be a good title um and i read number of the stars because i'm familiar with that as 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 a work but that that one almost lacked some of the intensity that i felt it was a great book for like the elementary age um but to me lacked some of the the intensity or grit that that i thought was was necessary for middle school students to to begin understanding the mm-hmm. the, the context that they sure. were learning about, so yeah. uh, that's kind of my history with, with those some of those texts. Right. Oh, wow. Yeah. I, that concept, safe in, safe out. Mm-hmm. That's really really good. Um, yeah, and I think maybe I'm doing us a disservice in having been a middle and high school teacher myself. I think it's easy to focus on the content Mm -hmm. and the standards and preparing them for high school and preparing them for college. And we forget about that social emotional piece that they are human beings and this is heavy and we have to, we have to help them through this. And and I think actually um, that, that idea of, connecting with the people who experienced all this is so important. Sure. Uh, there's a book I, I've got to recommend. I just finished it. Um, it was written in 1933 um, by a German Jew named Lion Feuchtwanger, um, and it's called The Oppermans. Um, I may be mispronouncing Feuchtwanger's name, but um, the book is extraordinary. And um, because it was written in 1933, it gives the sense of pre-war life and the sense of sort of suffocating, um, you know, uh, as the, the Nazis came into power. Um, uh, so it's just an extraordinary book. And I, I'm planning, I would like to um, use sections of that um, to, to personalize my content. Every year I'm trying to, um, to, to refine my content as mm-hmm. probably every teacher is. So sure. um, that's something that I'd like to do being informed by that, that workshop in at Wright State. Right, mm-hmm. right. And a um, couple of questions in my mind. I want to come back to, I'll have you mention um, the Wright State hosted workshop yes. but the do you happen to know the spelling of the book or yes. the name oh for certain yeah. yeah okay so it's the Oppermans and it's um o-p-p-e-r-m-a-n-n-s and the author is Lion or Leon uh Feuchtwanger which is uh f-e-u-c-h-t w-a-n-g-e-r which evidently means wet cheek Okay. Okay. But he's, he's phenomenal. And that that book was actually became a bestseller last year because there's a new um, issue that, that came out of of that book. So I I highly, highly recommend it. And, and like I said, I'm going to try to, to um, pull excerpts. Sometimes I think using short texts can be so effective like we were talking about yes. the story of an hour so i i right. have an adapted version of that that's basically like a page and a half yes um, it, yes it's a little bit abridged and it's a little bit adapted right. Right. Uh, but it's suitable for for um seventh graders so i, I think that a few scenes from the oppermans um will be um 
more effective than me trying to take six weeks um, to teach the entire novel. You're right, exactly. But it's worth teaching for anyone who has exactly. the time. It's phenomenal. So, so it's a memoir? No, or it's fictional. Fiction, okay. So it, it's uh, about a family called the Oppermans. They're highly integrated into German society. They've been there for hundreds of years, but suddenly they're mm. not German enough. Right. Um, mm. So it, it's extraordinary. So when I started teaching um, about the propaganda, about propaganda, I was actually teaching The Animal Farm, or Animal Farm, uh, by George Orwell, and uh, which is all about propaganda in so many ways. Um, yeah. And so I was using the, the most popular format, which is a format that's existed since 1939, which was introduced by the Institute for Propaganda Analysis, which, uh, which basically uh, lays out all of these propaganda techniques. So I was teaching those techniques like bandwagon and plain folks and this and that. And there's like seven of them. And then right. you can add to that with fear or all these other things. So the, the amount of front-loading about what is propaganda, how do I identify it, was, was cumbersome. Um, I, when I was uh, starting at Wellington, uh, I stumbled across a video because I was trying to teach a little bit about propaganda. Uh, There's a, a video uh, that was taken at Terezin or Theresienstadt, a Nazi propaganda video, um, which shows what appears to be a very uh, almost luxurious uh, existence that, that was being lived by Jewish people in these camps, but obviously it was propaganda. Um, so the conditions w were completely really distorted. Right. Um, mm -hmm. And then there's also notably like the omission of uh, details about what camp life would have been, really been like. I had the opportunity this spring to, to actually go to Auschwitz, which was once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to, to see oh. and experience the horror of what that place was. And so to see it depicted, uh, you know, as it was in this propaganda video, the omissions are mm. uh, notable. And so that combination of distortion and omission seemed to me to be kind of salient. And then... I, I thought it, it was also important to talk about how propaganda can glorify. Right. Um, mm -hmm. So images of Hitler as a knight protecting the damsel Germany and, and that sort of image um, that were used in propaganda posters. Those, just those three things, distortion, omission, and glorification, seem to me to be very teachable um, and most of the propaganda techniques that were identified by the Institute for Propaganda Analysis actually are different types of distortion. Um, and so um, it, it seemed to work. Uh, and so I think one of the things that I want to, to share is that as an approach to uh, streamlining instruction about propaganda, um, because I think instruction pro pro propaganda needs to be streamlined. Yes. And clarified. <laughs> I have often thought that. And um, I want to give the listeners the reference for that article. And that is from Voices from the Middle, which is an NCTE journal. And the title is A New Analytical Framework for Teaching Propaganda in Print and Non-Print Text. And that one is from volume 28, number three, March of 2021. So thank you for that as you said, streamlined version. I have often thought that too. And so that um, 
has been another useful um, teaching tool uh, with with the Holocaust is is first of all talking about um, Gordon Alport's nature of prejudice because Alport talks about uh, you know he I, I think was trying to understand how was it possible for the Holocaust to happen. And so I think led with genocide, but he identified five um, sort of types of prejudice. So anti-locution, which is speaking against, um, and then avoidance, think segregation, um, and uh, let's see, uh, discrimination, like legal discrimination, and then physical attack and genocide. Um, and so under the heading of anti-locution, um, it's been useful in the past couple of years to identify dehumanization as a type and to identify um, threat construction and guilt attribution as, as three, three things. Like and under the Holocaust studies, um, the protocols of the elders of Zion is, is also very much um, threat construction. Mm. Um, and it aligns with something like QAnon, like right, these right. crazy theories that that get shared, um, right? Uh, that that get used as justifications. Um, so you know, as we embark in the Holocaust studies, I, I try to um, to set things up with a, a discussion of some of that psychology. Um, trying to pack in, you know, the study of psychology and also to to dovetail with with propaganda like I wish there were more time um, and I know uh, as teachers that we always have to make decisions about what what are we showcasing in the lesson today sure. and that kind of thing um, but I, I think that those can be useful um, and they're very sticky to me like students uh, with with a short list okay. seem very capable of getting it um, right Right. And then being able to apply it, and then also being able to make those uh, those connections between things like um, the Holocaust and the treatment of Black people in the United States. Um, right. right. In fact, we looked at um, a poem called "Southern Cop" uh, by Sterling Brown, um, and you know the, those those connections can can easily be dovetailed with with Holocaust studies or even um, overlap with them or be layered into the curriculum at other times of the year, you know, that as as they um, become possible in terms of time. And that makes me think about, um, as a reminder to folks who might not know this, the Dayton Holocaust Research Center, mm -hmm. if you're not in, you know, the Midwest or um, if you are local, teachers can use any of the materials from the Dayton Holocaust Resource mm -hmm. Center. You just have to have a, I believe it's a letter from an administrator saying that, yes, you are working with the Holocaust. Mm -hmm. If you're not local, there's a really great website. And I believe they also have a Facebook page mm -hmm. for the Dayton Holocaust Resource Center. And it is, of course, about the Holocaust. But as we were saying, you know, back to language and how does this start? There are also many resources about anti-bullying and mm -hmm. to, about other genocides. As you know, it's just heinous that never again has never been. Right. That it's. Mm -hmm. When are we human beings going to get it through our thick skulls? Yeah. That we need to not kill each other. It's. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And I, I think the answer is probably never. I yeah. think that there isn't yeah. going to be right. sort of right. 
end of history Absolutely. where people start Absolutely. suddenly behaving right. in a completely different way right. because I think right. that's the way that we're put together. Sure. Um, so mm. I think mm. that definitely um, helps to make the case why this is important. If you'd like to hear the full podcast with Greg Davis, you're in luck. Become a member at wordbridgenow.com for access to this extended conversation with Greg. Join us in January, live online, to ask questions of your own as we talk with Tony Medina, author of the powerful Black Lives Matter graphic novel, I Am Alfonso Jones. See the link in the show notes. Thanks again to Greg, and in the spirit of words as bridges, take care.